teaching a series on why do we do what we do. And I'm not going to talk long tonight because I want us to break up and I want us to discuss this greater. But I believe it's so vitally important that we truly know why we do what we do because when we know the why, I believe it will help us in the do. Because when we really know that when we come and we praise and worship God, it's not just songs, but we understand the importance of what it is. That we don't just come to church because it's church, but we understand it's a meeting place. We understand it's a place where we can plant our families, where there's safety and security. We understand that when we build His house, God promises to build. When we understand all these things, I'm telling you, it adds importance and meaning to it. And I really believe that importance and meaning will be played out in the way we conduct and live our lives. I love church. I love praise and worship. I love to love people. I love to give. I love to serve. This is my heart. Why? Because I believe this is the heart of God and I want to have the heart of God in my life. And you know what I say is when we learn why we do what we do, something takes place. I call it ownership. You begin to feel ownership over something. I remember as a kid when I turned, it was 17 back then, 16 in America, 15 or 14 in America, it used to be I guess. But when you're 17, you can get a license in England. And I remember when I was 17, I felt the big dog, you know. And my mum and dad didn't go out and buy me a car, but I got to use my mum's car. And then my mum's car became kind of my car and my sister's car. But I remember she had to fuss at me all the time to keep it clean. If you're going to use my car, you need to clean it. And I would kind of reluctantly kind of clean it and keep it. And you know, if you kind of bumped it or scraped it just a little bit, there was no kind of skin off your back. You just kept it dirty so your mum wouldn't see, you know what I'm saying? And and there was a lamppost or a post near our house that kind of leant over a little bit. I did that. I backed into it. There was a reason I did back into it. There was a guy who flew out on a bike in front of me. He was drunk, nearly hit me. So I drove back and I turned back and reversed to make sure he was okay in the ditch and I hit the post. And that post was like, I think it still leans a little bit to this day. So that's my pole, the leaning pole of Philip. There's a tower that's called the Leaning Tower of Pisa. There's a Leaning Tower or Tower of Philip. But I remember when I first bought my own car, I couldn't clean it enough. If someone dinged it in the parking lot, don't you hate that when they ding it in the doors? Oh, my goodness. Every time I opened that door and I saw that ding, it was like my heart just bled just a little bit. What had happened? All of a sudden, I realized ownership because I suddenly had paid for that. Ownership made a big difference to just being gifted something or given something. 
And I think that's the same with how we are as church. We can come to church and we can do church and we can enjoy church. But there's something about having ownership in church. That when you come and you re- if there's a piece of trash on the floor, you know what? You don't wait for someone else to pick it up and you don't question why someone didn't pick it up. You pick it up. Why? Taking ownership in the house. If there's a need and there's something that needs to be done, you're not looking and saying, well, why are they not doing it? You're saying, how can I play a part? How can I fill the gap? How can I be involved? Come on, that's taking ownership. It, it's different. There's a different meaning. And I believe that's how God wants not only our relationship to be, that there's an ownership, that there's a value to it, but also in the way we do church, in the way we praise God, in the way we love, in the way we give, and in the way we serve. Listen to what the Bible says in James chapter 2 and verse 20. The Bible says these words, and I'm flying through tonight, so you don't have to turn there. Just believe me, I'm not lying to you. This is what it says. If you don't believe me, write down the scripture and read it when you get home. But James chapter 2 and verse 20 says this, Do you not know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Say that with me. Faith without works is dead. Say it one more time. Faith without works is dead. Verse 22, skipping a verse, says, Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by faith, or by works rather, faith was made Perfect. Let me say that again. Faith without works is dead. Talking of Abraham and what he did. And it says, do you not see that his faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. Say with me, complete. Because that's what it means, perfect. It means made complete. I believe that there is a completing that begins to take place when our relationship, which is the faith part, The relationship that we have in God, the faith part, when also something else takes place as a result of that relationship, and that is the desire to work, to live for God, to serve God, to be a part of what God, that's the works part. Faith, a relationship with God, but now a works that comes from that relationship with God. In the simplest form, faith is both spiritual and It's both practical. It's physical and spiritual. It's spiritual, practical. It takes place in our lives. Listen, my works don't produce faith, but as a result of relationship with God, I want to work. I want to serve. I want to be a part of what God is doing. When they say church, I want to be there. When they say praise and worship, man, I'm ready to get my praise on. When they say love people, I'm saying, where can I love? Where can I reach? When they're saying giving, I'm saying, come on, I'm a giver. I love to give. When they're saying serve, I'm saying, hey, I'll roll up my sleeves. What do you need me to do? And that's what you've got to understand. That's what we're talking about, that faith without works is dead. If all we say we're a Christian, but yet we're not involving ourselves in those things that God wants us to be a part of, guess what? Our relationship with God is just a relationship with God. But God wants it to be alive, that we can sow. And that's why we need to know what we do. That's why we need to know about church and praise and worship and doing all these things. Because it brings life to our walk. It brings life to who we are. And I want to discuss just really quickly tonight the why number three and why number four. Why we love and why we give. I'm not going to recap long because we talked about it on Sunday. Get the CD, listen to it online, get the podcast, whatever. 
But we're going to break into small groups shortly, and I want to discuss this in more depth. But why number three we talked about Sunday is why do we love? Why do we love? Love is an important thing, isn't it? I mean, everyone has a need to be loved. People can push away and say, I don't want to be loved, but the reason they're pushing away is because they're really crying out for love. They just don't know. They've been hurt so much. They've been abused. And therefore, it's hard for people many times to love because they've been hurt. But we looked at love, why we love, in three ways. The first way we love is because he first loved us. I think that is absolutely incredible. That just makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck. It gives me chills just to think the fact that God first loved me. It said, for God so loved the world, John 3.16, that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him, God didn't say you're good enough and you're not good enough and I think you'll make it. God said that whosoever just what says, God, I believe in you. God loved us so much that while we were a screwed up mess, he sent heaven's best for every one of us. The Bible says while we were dead in our trespasses and our sin, guess what? Christ died for us. He gave his life. Why do we love? Because he first loved me. What an incredible thought. Remember as a child, all you young ladies used to take a flower or something. You used to pull a petal off and say, he loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. Guess what with God? You know what it is? He loves me. 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 Come on, there's no not in God. Come on, he loves you. He loves you. Jeremiah 31 verse 1 says, I love you with an everlasting love. How incredible. How incredible. The second reason we love is because he commands us. John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. Don't get hung up on the command because his command is different to ours. He's not forcing us to submit or to do anything. He's not trying to force us to obey. Come on, but guess what? We'd be a fool not to. We'd be a fool not to follow his commands because anything and everything God has for us is to help us, to make us better to give us peace, to give us comfort. So when God says, love people, and that's a commandment, come on. We've been disobedient and sinning if we don't. So why do I love? Because he first loved me, and God commands me to love. And then the last reason we talked about was because it identifies us. It's our ID. Next verse of John 13 says, by this, what love? By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. The love that we should have should distinguish us from all others. People should know and see that through our love and our compassion and our reach, that there's something different from us. You know, after hearing these things, every one of us should be able to say this tonight. I know now why I should love. And guess what? I'm now loving with purpose. There's something about purpose. I'm loving now with purpose because it's not just blind. I don't understand it. I know it now. And I'm loving with purpose. I'm having ownership in this, and I can love with a confidence. Are you with me? Why number four? Why do we give? Why do we give? The subject about giving, listen to me, is not all about money, but it's about obedience. A lot of times when people hear about tithing and giving, they just think, oh, it's money, cha-ching, cha-ching. So all they want is the money. If you've been here around this church for, a num- for even just one week, you will understand this. This church is not all about money. In fact, we ask and we, we give an offering talk for about two to five minutes at the most every service. And you know what we do? We never play, plead, we never beg, we never force. We just show people, yes, the importance of giving, but we also show the rewards of what happens when we give to God. We're not about money. You see, giving is not about money. It's about obedience. The reality is this. God doesn't need your money. 
but he needs your obedience. Come on, God doesn't need your money, but you need to be obedient to him. You need the rewards that come as a result, and that's what we do. You see, money is a test. God could test us any other way, but you know what? Money is perhaps the closest thing that we hold to us, the thing we have greatest value of many times in our life, and God uses that as a test. And it's a test that we must pass. If we don't, we can't proceed past go and collect 200 bucks. Or however much it is now. It's probably $2,000. It used to be 200 pounds or 100 pounds in England. But whatever it is now. But you know what? It's a test that you and I must pass. So on Sunday, we looked at um, three key areas of giving. Here's the first one, and that is this. Why do we give? Number one, because it's all already his. It's all his. Everything we have is a gift for God. It's amazing. God could demand and take everything from us. But God is so gracious that he says, hey, 100% is mine, but guess what? I'll let you keep 90. That's a great God right there. That is a great God that he wants us to have the best portion. So say with me these words, stewardship. Stewardship. Stewardship means taking care of that which is not your own. God requires good stewardship. It's all already his. He gives it to us. He entrusts it to us. And he wants us to be good stewards. And you and I must pass the test when it comes to stewardship. You know why? Because if we're good stewards with what we have, God says, I can bless you with more. If we can't be faithful with what we have, guess what? Why should God bless us with more? And I've seen that time and time again. Time and time again. And don't say, well, what can can the church do with a dollar? I'm telling you, it's amazing. It's not what the church can do, but what can God do? What can God do with five loaves and two fishes? He can feed a multitude. If we're just obedient, notice the obedience. If we're just obedient to do and to give, tithe is a tenth. It's what God requires for us. Obedience, obedience, obedience. The second principle we looked at was it's biblical. I mean, end of story should be right there because if it's in the Bible, that's good enough for me. And I'm going to take it one step further. When I read about the rewards that come as a result of that, that makes it doubly good about it for me. Come on, I don't have to fret about it and concern about it. I mean, God says do it, and God says, and here's what happens when you do it, and it's good stuff. It's like pressed down, shaking together, hooking a brother up stuff. I mean, good, good stuff that God has. But if he can't get it out of you, he can't get it into you. Come on, if God can get it through you, God will get it to you. God will get the blessings. If he can get them through you, God will get them to you. And listen to this. The heart of a tither should never be this. I'm just giving to get. Well, I like that. If I give, the Bible says I'm going to get. Wrong motive. Come on, the heart of a tither says, God, even if you don't give me anything else, you've already blessed me so much. And everything you have is mine, is yours already, and I'm just giving back to you. Your portion, because you've allowed me to keep All that rest. And last but not least, giving rebukes the devourer. Man, I love that. How do you know that, Pastor P? Because it's written in black and white. says that in Malachi 3.11. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Come on, have you ever rebuked him and he hasn't buked? Huh? Have you ever rebuked him and he hasn't buked? You know what I'm saying? It's like you're struggling, you're fighting, and you're rebuking the devil, and it just seems like he doesn't buke. He's just right there, and, and, and it's just right in your face. Can I tell you right now, God doesn't have a problem with that. When God speaks, Satan has to jump. 
Come on, he has no power. As a child of God, he has no power, but he intimidates us into thinking he does, so we give ground to him, and the only power that Satan has in our life is the footholds that we give to him, but he intimidates us. Listen, God's not intimidated by Satan. In fact, one day Satan walks up and God says, hey, where you been? And the devil says, what do you mean? God says, I asked you a question, where you've been? The devil had to tell God what exactly he had been doing and why he had been. Why? Because Satan is accountable to God. You've got to realize that he's accountable to God. And God says that when we give and pay our tithes, guess what? God says, I'll take care of that old devil for you. I'll take care of it. God will take care of it. When we give, it breaks the curse, the stronghold of Satan the spirit of mammon across our families in our life. Come on, the hold of Satan upon me, my family, my possessions, my future. Come on, it's broken when I give to God. Do I hear an amen? amen. I said this to Kelly this week. Incidentally, Kelly is my wonderful wife that I am so incredibly blessed. I love her so much. She is so blessed. I mean, I am so blessed to have an incredible... Some of you caught that. But no, she is absolutely incredible. But you know what? Kelly and I were talking. I said, Kelly, if after what we talked about Sunday that people don't get the joy of giving, I don't know what it would take to get them to give. After what you heard Sunday in the environment that we were in on Sunday, if you don't still see the need or you don't see the need of paying tithes and be faithful in that, listen, I don't know. It fears me what it's going to take to make you open your eyes. Because we saw it at work in this place. You could feel it. There was something tangible here. And it's real. It's life. And I'm telling you, it works. Ask a tither. Do I have any tithers in the house? Do I have any testimonies in the house? So many testimonies. Who could give a testimony tonight of tithing? Come on, we've all got testimonies of tithing. And you know what? God will give back to us. So listen, we must know why we do so we can know why we do. We must know the why so we can do the... You just said do-do in church. I'm telling you, I'm not. But we've got to know why so we can do the do. We've got to know why so we can take ownership and we can take these things. Come on, I can't believe you said that in church. Well, I'm ashamed of you, man. Take him home and sort him out, Misty, please. There you go. I'm sitting with this part of my family. Who is that? No, he's awesome. I love Will. But come on, we've got to take ownership. We've got to take ownership in church. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard. But we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.